0: Good to have all of you. If you're watching my live stream, we're glad that you're able to watch the service tonight. And uh, praying all of you have a good Christmas coming up here in a couple days. For me, it's a dilemma. I think I preach be, the service before Christmas quite regularly. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm Christmas preached out. <laughs> and I told Brother Gaddis a couple weeks ago, I, I'm not, no. I'm not preaching Christmas because I preached it. I did the star, and I've done wise men and shepherds, mean innkeepers. I've done hay and mangers, and you name it. I've Mary, Joseph, angels cattle. Thank you. I've done them. I mean, I've I've hit it from every possible angle I can think. And so I told him a couple weeks ago, I'm not, no, I'm doing something totally other than, and then, you know, like two days ago, it's like, I can't do that to these poor people. I know why they're here. They want to talk Christmas and all that. And I understand a little. It's not that I'm not a Scrooge by any means, but man, it's hard. Well, then I was thinking, or I was looking over my files, and I'd forgotten that a couple years ago during Sunday school, I had taken one of our carols, that's in your hymnal, and used that uh, as a, for part of a Sunday school lesson, and it's really just, I think, a really powerful uh, carol when you know some of the story behind it. And so I thought I'd talk about that and uh, preach from that as well as a passage of Scripture, I think is, uh, goes well along with that. If you are a fan of Christmas music, which I usually am until about like November and then I'm done with it because it's been on already since like October, right? then you know this, the biggest selling song of all time is a Christmas song. I'm not talking about just in Christmas world music. In all of musicdom, a song, a Christmas song is the biggest selling of all time. Written by Irving Berlin, And sung by Bing Crosby all the way back in 1942, White Christmas, still the biggest selling song of all time. And if you know anything about that song, and I'm not pretending that you don't know the secular songs, okay, you know it. (laughs) When you think about the words of that song and you remember it was in the middle of World War II, You kind of, it makes sense, these young men on battlefield away from their family and their friends longing for Christmas back home. All these years later, that song still holds a record, biggest selling song. I tried to look up and I found this interesting. I I got on the computer and I just asked a simple question. How many Christmas songs are there altogether? How many songs are there about Christmas, both secular and religious? How many songs are on there? And did you know no one knows? (laughs) There's so many. There's thousands. No one really knows how many songs are about Christmas or what we would call Christmas songs or Christmas carols. Now we know there's hundreds that are, we, we would consider religious. There's Tons of them and there's even more than that we would say would be secular in nature like White Christmas. And so I know that you have your favorites and uh, every uh, October you turn on the radio to start that process of hearing it for two months. There's one in our hymnals that uh, when I learned about this uh, carol, this what we call Christmas carol and what it means... And what it meant at the time. It really does have more meaning that way. And You know sometimes we just sing our songs in our hymnal. We never really think. Somebody wrote that. Probably a long time ago. And they were probably. uh, There was a reason they wrote that song. And they had something in their heart. Or in their mind to share. And to give. And it was something special. And they wanted to praise Jesus in a certain way. And so this. The words came out of them and some of them, I'm telling you, are rich with doctrine and truth. Which is one reason we still want to keep the hymnal. Because we don't necessarily see that in modern songs the way we did. Some of those people, I think, knew Jesus in a real way. So, take out your hymnals. That's a really bad way to start a message. You don't have to stand. <laughs> I know. I know this is weird. The students aren't here, so they can't tell on me for not being homiletical. But good thing we're not on the Internet or anything like that. <laughs> Page 146. We, I think the instruments were playing this song. Uh, before service, I don't know if we sing it very often or not. On page 146, I Heard the Bells is a really powerful, short Christmas carol, Christmas song. And if you look in the left, at the bottom left hand corner, notice who wrote the words. His name's familiar if you know anything about literature or poetry, if you studied in school, Longfellow. It's more than just, you know, I'm a poet and don't know it, and use Longfellow. He was a real poet. He wrote Paul Revere's Ride. He wrote Song of Hiawatha. And then he wrote this poem called Christmas Bells. Longfellow taught literature at Harvard for 17 years. He wrote this poem called Christmas Bells. It originally had seven stanzas, and two of the seven that had particular uh, references to the Civil War, we don't have. They were removed. The five remaining were rearranged slightly. You look on the right side by Jean-Baptiste Kalkin, rearranged a little. And given the tune that we all know, that is Longfellow's poem, Christmas Bells, or as we know it, I Heard the Bells. Like many of our hymn writers... Usually we only know the backstory to a hymn if it's very tragic. Some of our, like it is well, you know the backstory to that hymn is born out of tragedy and grief. It's pretty much the same with this little song. Longfellow was married to his first wife, her name was Mary, and She died after having a miscarriage and they'd only been married for four years. So then he married his second wife and her name was Fanny. And one day Fanny, by this time they'd been married a while and they had children. And Fanny was trimming some of her daughter's curls. And she decided to take some of those curls as ladies will do and she wanted to preserve those hang on to those lockets of hair and so she put them in an envelope and she was going to seal the envelope with sealing wax now this is obviously a long time ago and as she melted the sealing wax with the candle she didn't realize that she had set her dress on fire And in just moments, her dress was literally in flames and she ran into her husband's office, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, she ran into his office on fire. And he began to get a rug and tried to put the flames out and was unable to do so. And eventually he just used his own hands and arms to put out the flames on his wife. And the next morning, Fanny died at the age of 44. If you've ever seen pictures of Longfellow, he always has that long white beard. And the reason for that was he could no longer shave because he had been burned on his face. And so he grew his beard long. That would be rough. His oldest son, Charles, was a lieutenant in the Army of the Potomac. During the Battle of New Hope in Virginia, Charles was severely wounded. A bullet hit him in his left shoulder and came across his body and exited out the right side. And so Henry Longfellow was summoned to the hospital in Washington, D.C and brought eventually his son hope his son home, hoping that he would recover. With that backstory, knowing his heart and what he had faced, some of the stanzas in this hymn or this Christmas carol have some more meaning, don't they? Notice this first, and I want to point this out. This song says a lot about peace. At the end of each stanza, notice, he is taking from Luke chapter number two and verse number 14, the words of the angels to the shepherds on that, what we call that first Christmas. And those words were peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's repeated all five times. Peace. A lot about peace in that song. Someone once said that peace is the brief glorious moment in history when everyone stands around reloading. (laughs) Did you know since since anyone can look back into history, that's how, how far back we can look into history. There's only been... 292 years of peace. But during this time, there's been 14,300 wars in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. They say the value of property destroyed by the wars that have been on this planet, since people can remember anyway or somehow look into history. The value of property destroyed could buy a golden belt around the world that is 97 miles wide and 33 feet thick. People always are searching for peace. People seek peace. And I don't mean by that just world peace. People seek peace in their own mind and in their own heart. People innately know they're not at peace with God. And people continue to fret and to worry and stress about all kinds, all manner of things. Think of all the things that possibly could rob people or rob you perhaps of your peace. The future, you don't know what it brings. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what, how much inflation is going to be. You don't know who's going to be the next president. You don't know what you're going to do this and that. And just not knowing the future certainly can bring, if you're not careful, a certain amount of anxiety, a lack of peace. And then with many people, the past brings them anxiety. What They, they think about what they did before or what their past was and maybe their past sin or their past transgressions or their past mistakes and the things they did in the past bother them so much they can't even have peace now. Some people don't have peace because the relationships that they're in. The drama. Isn't it sad that this time of year, those kind of 911 calls go up. As families get together and all wounds are opened and they get mad at each other and fight. Relationships in turmoil, problems, lack of peace. Maybe you're just wondering how you're going to pay for that Christmas present you bought. I shouldn't have bought that. Get all caught up, I know. Can I tell you, peace doesn't come with a lot of things. It certainly doesn't come with money. And the reason I can say that confidently is because I've watched people who seem to have a lot of it and they don't seem to have peace. And I know it doesn't come with age. A lot of things come with age. I'll talk to you about it. But peace isn't necessarily one of them. It doesn't come with success. Have not you seen successful people? Many times just filled with more and more anxiety the more and more successful they are. It doesn't come with religion. It promises peace, but it doesn't deliver peace. It doesn't come with pills or doctors. And you and I know, here we are the last service before Christmas. Certainly where I trust we're all believers in here. We know that true peace is only found in Christ. Real peace. The peace, the kind of peace the angels were talking about. It only comes through Christ. It came through the manger, and it only comes through Christ today. Let me just read you a couple of verses. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Colossians 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The word peace is found 111 times in the New Testament. It's obvious, just those few verses Just those few examples, God wants his children to be people of peace, at peace with him, at peace with each other, at peace in their own hearts, in their own minds. Yet all of us at times have probably struggled and maybe you are even to this day struggling with one of those kinds of peace, peace with God, peace with others or peace with yourself. If you're saved, you have, let's call this positional peace. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have positional peace. You are not in enmity with God anymore. You are at peace with him. But you and I know sometimes we still struggle. We still fight with God. We still fight and struggle over his will or his word. And it seems like we're always wrestling with God for control of our lives. And we haven't really, really raised the white flag yet. We're glad that we're saved. We're glad we're at peace with God. I'm not, I'm on his side, but God, if you don't mind, from now on, I'll take it on my own and I'll run my own show. And we haven't really surrendered yet. We're not really at peace. It could be you're at war with another person. And when I say this, I I mean this, you may have been treated unfairly and I don't mean to diminish that in any way. You may have at the hands of another person been suffered some wrong that really is serious. Maybe a family member. Maybe, maybe even a church member said something, did something. And you, and you daydream about all the ways you could hide the body. <laughs> and you avoid eye contact. You never cross the great gulf in between right here. To sit on the other side, you may run into that person. Can I tell you, if that's you, if you're at war with someone even in your own heart and they don't realize it, and they could be in your family or just someone you know or someone here at church, can I tell you, if that's true with you, everything about you is affected. Your relationship with God is affected your health is affected because you refuse to call a truce to this private war you're carrying on. And I know because this is part of the human condition, many times just in our own hearts and minds, sometimes we lack peace, stress, worry, Sometimes over the issues that we know we shouldn't worry about because unbelievers worry about them, but yet we want to worry about them. Things that may keep us up at night and it could be financial obligations or how am I going to do this or my loved one who is sick or is someone I'm afraid is going to die or what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. And if you're not careful, your mind can constantly race with all the questions and doubts. And you hear other people talk about the peace of God that they have in their hearts when they face some crisis and how God has given them peace. But you don't really feel that for yourself. Can I tell you, Jesus came to bring peace. He as much said it. Peace on earth. According to what Paul said, it's one of the fruits of walking with God is peace. One of the fruit of the Spirit. And should not unsaved people be able to observe God's children and see above... Everything else could be going south, but should they not see that person is at peace? In the middle of the storm, we should be at peace. Now, you remember the story of Jesus, he illustrated it for us. In the middle of a great storm in a boat. Now, of all places to be in the storm, boat is on the bottom of my list. Not interested. Here they are in the middle of the sea, of Galilee, and the storm is raging. If it's, if it's bad enough that fishermen who understand such things are worried, you know I'm worried. And he's in the bottom of the boat asleep. Now, you might say, well, maybe he was sleepy, tired, and I'm sure that's all true. But I have a feeling that was for our benefit to learn something. Was he not concerned with his own safety? Was he unconcerned with the safety of his followers who were on that boat? I think it was he was showing us this. When you fully trust God, you can be at peace. Amen. Even when the waves are crashing and the wind is howling, God's children can experience peace. Amen. And those angels on that first Christmas, as they... As they confronted these wide-eyed shepherds, part of their message was just that: peace. Are, are you a Norman Rockwell fan? I love Norman Rockwell's paintings. For one, they look like real things. Other, <laughs> I've seen paintings. And I thought people bought that. Looks like he threw up paint. But I'm not an art critic, but I know when I see something I like. So if you've ever noticed, he has a great series of paintings that appeared in the Saturday Evening Post in 1943, and it was Freedoms. And there's a series of these freedom paintings that he has. One is Freedom from Fear. Freedom from fear, just see, how would you, if you were going to paint just one image and in that image you need to say everything you needed to say about being free from fear, what would you paint? So in that painting, and I'm sure you've seen it, mom and dad are tucking into bed their two young children. Dad, he stands. He's standing there looking down. He still has on his tie and suspenders. In one hand, he's holding his glasses. In the other hand, he's holding a newspaper. And he's looking down on his two little ones as mom is moving the covers up. And in that, what makes that painting makes sense is the headline on the newspaper. Because a headline reads like this, bombings kill, horror hit. Now, during World War II, that would have been a normal headline. During World War II, did you know that the German Blitzkrieg bombed 16 British cities for 57 continuous nights. Now you can understand the message that Norman Rockwell was trying to tell us. Even with death and war and the uncertainty of the future, the children can sleep knowing that dad is going to keep them safe. As long as dad's in the house, there's peace. Uh-huh. Now just think of that. As a believer, do I have any reason to not be at peace? Because our heavenly father, isn't he always with us? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's bombs and there's horror and there's this and there's that. We can sleep. Right. Yes. Peace. But of course this this hymn that you're looking at there, peace on earth, at the end of each stanza, some of the other words don't seem so peaceful. You can imagine the grief that Longfellow had in his heart, the pain, the loss of his wife so tragically His second wife, he loses two wives. Now his son, who's critically wounded. And look what it says in verse number three. Stanza number three. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. The grief that Longfellow Experienced led to despair. In despair, I'm giving up. It's so bad, I I give up. It's even if if you could rate emotions, grief, but despair is even worse. In the first Christmas after the death of Fanny, Henry Longfellow, in his journal. Wrote this. How inexpressibly sad are all holidays. A merry Christmas say the children. But that is no more for me. Not one of us in this room. Has not been touched in some way. By some grief. You've lost. All of us have. I have. And maybe it's a job, some relationship's been broken, some friendship, or something even worse, something akin to what Longfellow experienced in his life. In his grief, even the bells that would ring out in those days on Christmas, something we don't probably really understand, but you can imagine that all over town, All the churches would be ringing their bells on Christmas Day. Even the sound of those bells proclaiming the birth of Christ was no comfort. It brought no joy. It brought him no peace. As he said, there is no peace. I want you to look in your Bibles in Psalm 73. You don't need to stand. The 73rd Psalm. We're going to go back to page 146. This is really weird. I know that. We'll go back to the carol here in a minute. The reason I think Psalm 73 reminds me so much of Longfellow's words. Is because the writer of Psalm 73 who we are told is Asaph. He gave word to some of the same feelings that Longfellow was having. Asaph in Psalm 73, literally, he opened his heart and let us peer inside to a man who was in despair. I mean, all around him, as he looked, it brought him what we would just say, this feeling of hopelessness. Follow along as I read in verse number four, as he talks about the wicked, the ungodly world around him. Listen to what he says. There are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. Talking about this, the wicked around him. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. Let they set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are rung out to them. And they say, here's what those wicked people say. How doth God know? There is no knowledge in the most high. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. He looked around and he was discouraged. God, the wicked around me that I'm watching, they get everything they want. They don't even get sick. They don't die like your people do. And they don't suffer like your people do. And they have all their needs met while we go hungry and we don't have our needs met. And they just, and they laugh at you, God. They they mock you, God. They say, you're not even up there. And if you're up there, you're not going to do anything about it. You don't know what's going on down here. And we, we get everything we want and we increase in riches and we're not worried about God. And Asaph just said, I don't get it. It's hard to see this. It's as if he said, "I, in despair, I bowed my head. You know what Asaph needed? And what we need? What Longfellow needed? Was when things are bad. And we see around us people who don't love God and they don't have bad things happen to them. At least that's how we perceive it. And when bad things do happen to us and that's part of life and things that we can't control and life is hard and things aren't great, what are we supposed to do? You know what sometimes we need to do is change our focus. Look what he said in verse 17. Or in verse 16, he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I can't even think about it. It hurts my head until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Oh, man, you get in God's presence. You get with God. Get your focus off all this is going around. Get your focus off your own problems. Get your focus off the wicked and what you think they have and you don't have. Get your focus off all your problems and your pain and your grief, as real as it may be. And you get in God's presence, all of a sudden, things look different. In verse number 28, look what he says. It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord and I may declare all thy works. What's your focus, Asaph, on pain? Longfellow, obviously in verse number three, at least your focus is on the pain and what you see around you and your own personal pain and your problems and trial. And while it's all real, I'm not saying it's not real. While it's all real and true, when we are in those times when it's rough and we feel grief and pain and maybe just a little bit of despair. Uh, Maybe we can learn from Asaph that when we draw near to God, guess what? We see things from his perspective. That changes everything. And you can find any hero in the Bible and you'll find times when when they were in despair. But when they when the circumstances of life brought them low and when circumstances of life were down on them and, and they felt as if maybe there was no hope and all of us have been there, you, you'll see time and again when they got with God, things changed. Their circumstances didn't change, but their view changed because they saw things from above And they got close to him and they saw that, God, you know, God, you care. I'm not alone. And the victory I've been looking for is just around the corner. Because notice how Longfellow put it. There's no peace on earth. There's no peace. And for those people who were in the middle of a bloody war, as in, Every time there's been a bloody war, no doubt they were thinking this is going to rage on and on. There's no end to it. But we know that Jesus said before his coming, there's going to be wars. There will be until his presence. In verse 3, in stanza number 3, Longfellow also said, Hate is strong, and it mocks the song. You know... The despair he was feeling, the hate around him was so strong, it even mocked the song that the bells would give, the bells of peace on earth on Christmas. The hate was stronger. There's no peace, he said. There's no goodness. There's no hope. But I'm glad that Longfellow seemed to come to that conclusion that Asaph came to. And I don't know much about his life. or I'm just... Gaining from what he wrote that he got with God somewhere along the way. And somewhere along the way he got with God and he saw things from a different perspective and his whole, his whole attitude everything all of a sudden changed and we can read about it in verse, his fourth verse. It says, Then pealed the bells More loud and deep. I love this phrase. God is not dead nor doth he sleep. (laughs) And he says the same thing Asaph said in in verse number 17. The wrong shall fail and the right prevail. Asaph put it this way. uh, When I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end the wrong will fail and the right prevail all of a sudden just in this between verse 3 and verse 4 of a 5 verse song we see hope resurrected listen to John chapter 16 these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is giving his followers and you and I hope that even in the midst of difficulties and tribulation and problems, there is comfort because Of this Jesus said don't worry I've overcome the world and because I've overcome the world you can overcome the world how am I going to overcome the world brother Ted how how am I going to overcome what I see around me how am I going to overcome the pain and the grief I feel because this has happened or this has taken place in my life or the worries or the things that are going on how am I going to overcome all that how about this Sometimes we have to remember what he's done. The Bible says, every good and perfect gift cometh from above. And if you can't at Christmas look at what you have and not what you wish you had and be thankful, you're not, you're not, you need, you're not thinking clear. Because everything good that you have has come from God. Maybe sometimes we just stop and wait a minute. I got to remember all he's done for me. There's loss, there's pain, there's grief perhaps, but I don't want to forget what he's done. I want to remember that God saved me when I didn't deserve it. I want to remember that my ways, the Bible says, are not his ways. In other words, Brother Gaddis reminds us all the time, we're not called to be understanders, but we're called to be believers. Believers. And then maybe remember this. You're not alone in this. Think of all the times in the Bible where we read of some darkness, but also that God was there. He was with Noah when the rain started. He was with those three men in the furnace. In fact, the king even saw one. He was with Daniel all night in the lion's den. He was with Moses as he faced Pharaoh's army. He was with Esther. Remember, as she looked death in the face. He was with Gideon and his 300-man army. He was with those disciples as they hid in the upper room. He was with Paul and Silas sitting in a jail cell. He was with John as he was banished on an island. I'm just telling you, you're not alone. Well, sometimes I feel alone. Yeah, but you're, you're not. In, in the uh, Christmas song, that fourth verse says, then peeled the bells pealed them loud and long, more loud and deep. God is not dead nor doth he sleep. I want to quote from Reader's Digest Merry Christmas Songbook. Did you know there was such a thing? Talking about this song it says this. As the bells continue to peal and peel, Longfellow recognizes that God is not dead after all, that right shall prevail, bringing peace and goodwill, as long as there is Christmas and its promise of new life. Not bad for Reader's Digest. Sometimes I know we can get so discouraged because we look around like Asaph. We see it looks like evil's winning. Good is losing. But once you get with God, until I went into the sanctuary of God, once you get in His presence, it was good for me to draw near to God. And all of a sudden, circumstances may not change, everything's still the same. Nothing changed in Longfellow's life, nothing changed in Asaph's world. But this hope is restored. Hope is restored. The difference in your faith can like in Longfellow all of a sudden those bells those bells that remind the whole town of Christmas Day they all ring together giving notice that this is the day that Jesus was born and in a time where Longfellow didn't want to hear those bells they didn't bring any joy or peace and now all of a sudden He's glad to hear those bells again. If the question is. Can we be at peace. When all around us is chaos. Then the answer is yes. Because to know him is to know peace. A peace that the Bible describes as passing understanding. If the question is. What do I do when my grief. Turns into despair. Despair. What do I do? Then the answer is get closer to God and see everything from His point of view. If the question is, how can we even have hope, brother Ted, in a world that's so wicked? If it was wicked for Asaph, don't you know it's wicked for us? Things haven't got any better. Well, then we we say with uh, Longfellow, God is not dead nor does he sleep. He knows and he cares. And as believers, just talking to us who really know what Christmas means. I mean, when I buy that, what true meaning of Christmas we know. We can have peace with God because of Christmas. Grief can be turned to joy because of Christmas. We can have a hope in him that is, starts today and lasts forever because of Christmas. I'd ask you to bow your heads and maybe we have a time of invitation. I don't know what you're facing over Christmas and some, for some, I understand. Just like it was for the writer of our little song Christmas only emphasizes the grief. Christmas doesn't make it better. Christmas only makes your despair grow. And for many, that's true. And if that's you, I'm just here to tell you, God wants to give you peace. And you can have that kind of peace. And it's not just some Christmas fuzzy feeling. It comes by getting close to God. Seeing it, seeing the issues, seeing the world from his viewpoint from above makes all the difference. Heavenly Father, I I want to thank you for our time together, this last service before we celebrate your birth. And so we obviously that's on our minds. And I know there's no doubt some who, maybe recently have experienced some grief and some issues, some trouble, some trials, some tough times. And that might be on their hearts. And Christmas just seems to kind of make that worse. I understand that. Lord, if that's true in some life, someone here, or maybe someone watching on live stream tonight, I pray that they will do what the the psalmist did and go into the sanctuary of God. Get close to God and spend time with God and change the focus off us, off our problems and focus on him and what he's done for us. Get a different point of view. Maybe that'll make all the difference. So maybe you've spoken to some heart tonight. However, you have, I pray that we'd respond to you. Thankful for this Christmas season. And I pray that you would use it to get honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me if you want to sing?